Hello and welcome to the next episode of Lost in Criterion. I'm John Patrick Wadhari Dorgan, and with me, as always, is a man who has the best fanny pack. <laughs> oh man, I wish I had a really good fanny like pack. Like a pink no, I don't. and blue, like a neon pink, neon blue, yeah. like scrambled, I don't know what you call that pattern, where, where it looks like, almost like fractal yeah. art. Uh, yeah. Um, Beautiful. Did you did you know fanny packs are proper uh, are popular with Gen Z, but not not worn around the waist, worn around one shoulder? Yeah, if, I'm uh, I'm aware of that. That, that was bag, a very popular fashion trend here about ten years yeah. ago, mm, five years ago, six years yeah. ago, something like yeah. that. It was very well, popular it's, it's, throughout. It's held on in some circles. Um, yeah. some I, circles I don't even think of them young, as fanny packs you know, because it's at that point it's just a yeah. an oddly shaped shoulder bag. Yeah, yeah, just a small shoulder bag that works. Yeah. People like it. How about it? Uh, we have a, a friend who insists that the very first time he ever met me, I was wearing a fanny pack. And I I don't think I've I ever seen you in a fanny pack the entire pack. time I've known yeah. you. Yeah. So, and we've known each so other a long time. For all my weirdo eccentricities uh, in high school, fanny pack was never among them. And I don't think I would have, even I, I self aware enough I not to do that to myself. That. No, I cannot imagine that. No, I. But also, I just. Even I thought fanny packs were dumb. I, like, mean, I was offended when he said that you, to me. You gotta <laughs> bear in mind that, like, by the time you and I were in high school, the era of the fanny pack had long, long, long since right, passed. Right. Yeah, I wore a fanny pack uh, in like anyway. middle of elementary school when I went on vacation. Yeah. I said I was offended, and that was at, because at the time I I cared much more deeply about those things. If you like fanny packs around your shoulder or around your waist, wear a fanny pack. You know, they're they're utilitarian. Do what you do. Before we get into our movie this week, I do want to talk about our Patreon. Patreon.com slash Lost in Criterion. Over there for a dollar a month, you can help keep us going and get access to some bonus content. We do a non-Criterion film every month. Our supporters get to vote on what movie we're going to watch. It's always drawn from a list that usually I put together. Sometimes our supporters put together, though, as, uh, as suggestions. And if that happens, we try to get that person who suggested the list on the episode so that we can talk to them we about do a movie We do do like. that. Love, love talking to people about movies they like. One of my favorite things, in fact. For that dollar, you not only help us pay our uh, pay our server bills, but you get access to that entire back catalog of episodes. So it's 66 episodes over there right now. So if you want more of me and Pat, as if as if the 550 episodes <laughs> like, of the main you're podcast are not enough. I blew through those 550 episodes. Now what do I yeah. do? I mean, to be fair, the need, first hundred are not worth listening to. But if you need if you need uh, another hundred hours of content, head over to. I Head mean, over to patreon.com slash lost God, yeah, that is a lot. When you think about all the hours put together, especially if you like consider like I don't know how you would do the math, but like they've they they're on some sort of weird logarithmic scale where they are getting longer in, yeah. infinitely. Uh, <laughs> yeah, unfortunately. Somehow or another, like because the last hundred are probably near are no less than an hour and a half each, right? Yeah. Start doing that we, math. Yeah. There's a lot of hours of, of us talking. That's all the $1 mark. A little above that, $5. If we like to 
thank folks on air who can help keep us going a little bit more. And thank you so much to our $5 supporters, Andrew Jarrett, Eric Coronado, Stephen Goldmeyer, and Chris Otto. Yes, thank you. Although, honestly, the- considering how good the postcard was this month, you kind of fucked up. <laughs> you should have popped up. It's true. Uh, speaking of those postcards, that is the $10 mark. At $10 and above, uh, Pat makes a piece of art based on one of the movies we watched recently, and the one he's referencing is based on Head, and it is amazing, and I can't wait for everyone to I, see I'm, it. I'm more uh, proud of this be. postcard than I think I've ever been of any postcard. Yeah, you should be. It's it's phenomenal. Um, yeah, Pat makes uh, makes that piece of art. I get it printed up on a postcard and write a little personalized thank you note once a month to our $10 and above supporters. We also like to thank those $10 supporters on air. So th- thank you so much to Adam Speakerman, Tracy McGrath, Patrick Yalko, Nina Bajnak, and Jason Westhaver, our $10 and above supporters. If you want to see those postcards, you can head over to redbubble.com, search for Lost in Criterion there. All the past postcards are up, with a couple exceptions. One, I put them up on a little bit of delay. So there's really phenomenal one that Pat it's going to be a little this bit, month. But I hope, he's, a I hope it's on the fast track, because it's... Yeah. Not since a sad man. Really what, was like it? It. what is it? I forget that the title. Super like. sad doctor. Yeah, man. super sad doctor man. Super sad doctor man is is one of my favorites. But not since time. then have I laughed uh, at my own pie, and my own postcard this much. Yeah, good, good. Um, I'm glad you laughed at it. I uh, but yeah, you can head over there. Um, super sad doctor man is there. There are a couple that got challenged over the years, so we've had to take them down because Redbubble won't will absolutely. Refuse you have to buy those in a dark to, alley uh, from a man in a trench coat if you want them. Yes, yes. And if you want, uh, give me an address of a dark alley. <laughs> he'll, he'll show up. I promise he'll be wearing pants. I will. Not yes. that kind of trench yes, coat, it's dude. not. Different kind of trench coat, dude. Yeah. yeah. I'll be very well-dressed under the trench coat in my cargo shorts full of postcards. <laughs> just, um, just like falling out of your pockets. Like, I've got postcards for absolutely. days. Thank you so much to everyone who has... Uh, has purchased anything off that Red Bull store. Everybody who has supported us on Patreon over the years, and thank you for listening. Pat, this week we are talking about Broadcast News from 1987, uh, directed by James L. Brooks. Uh, this is Brooks' second movie after Terms of Endearment, um, and obviously Brooks had I mean, second movie, right? Like, not second thing. Yes, second movie. No, not second thing. <laughs> Millions Brooks, of things Brooks had been later. working on... <laughs> Yes, yes, right. Brooks had been working in television for decades by this point. Uh, he is the creator of Room 222, uh, the Mary Tyler Moore Show, uh, Taxi. Uh, he is the exec producer of The Simpsons. Um, and he is also, uh, and we mentioned Patty, uh, Patty Platt uh, a couple weeks ago with the BBS stuff because she was um, Bogdanovich's uh, wife at the time of Last Picture Show and also his production um uh, designer for many years and her fingers are all through the uh the new hollywood set uh james l brooks and polly platt were working together in the 90s uh and it is them who uh put together uh uh the production for bottle rocket for wes anderson right yes so that was um, in one of those uh and we get those thingamajiggers yeah we get a little bit of wes anderson one of the bonus features this week as well um so I got but surprised yeah, Jack yeah, Nicholson world, and surprised right? Wes Anderson. This, 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 this was a lot. So this sorry. week was a lot. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, Brooks has had a illustrious career of some of the best comedy of the last forty years. Uh, 
I was going to say, and also Wes Anderson, but I won't do that to Wes Anderson. I know you would want to say, and also Wes Anderson, to that sentence, but <laughs> I'm not going to let it happen. Uh, Wes Anderson, Bottle Rocket is actually a very funny movie, and I love it. I I, so, I did like um, Bottle Rocket. I mean, like I my problems with Bottle like Wes Anderson is on a on a very specific curve, where yeah. we are also on that curve. <laughs> right, like right, we are, right, we right. are, we yeah. are because of the nature of the way the Criterion Collection treats Wes Anderson, we are all along for the ride on this curve, <laughs> right. where we will eventually, I think, get to the point where we'll eventually get to once. I don't think we're quite there yet, but assuming he continues to make movies, eventually get to the point where even you don't like them. <laughs> maybe, maybe it seems like that's I, where the tra- trajectory is headed. Uh, personally, but that's that's my opinion. Yeah, I mean, you can. I mean, based you on your wish. comments on recent see. movies, I feel like I'm correct. Uh, I definitely had problems with French Dispatch, and you are definitely going to hate the French oh, Dispatch. Oh, God, I'm going to but... despise that fucking movie. I'm probably going to watch it yes. on an airplane, frankly, because that's what I do with Wes Anderson movies, generally, if possible. Yeah. Well, your first experience, at least. Because if we make it to the French Dispatch and the Criterion Collection, it's going to be spine like 1300 I, I or something. Am, so. I, I do think it's funny, like... That I that maybe I was like, well, that's the pure experience. So I just get back on an airplane. I just yeah. buy a ticket to somewhere, just so I can watch the wet, whatever yeah. movie for the show on on an airplane. There you go. Uh, as an aside, I have watched the trailer for the new Wes Anderson movie, and it it seems, uh, it seems enough like a live action cartoon that I'm actually kind of interested in it. Uh, it looks fun. Yeah, it looks like a weird comedy Oppenheimer uh, answer for some reason. So. Like if they opened, if yeah, they opened Asteroid head to head City, instead Asteroid of Barbie City. and Oppenheimer, yeah. I don't know. It just it it did yeah. it did it something something about it tickled me. Brooks has had an extensive career in some of my favorite things, and also this. No, I say that, <laughs> that sentence makes it sound like I didn't like this movie. I did like this movie a lot. Um, but yeah, there's a, there's a bonus feature on here that is a career rep- retrospective of James L. Brooks that doubles as a history of some of the best. Uh, best sitcoms of the 70s too right yes yeah um, he got it's so weird some of his earliest writing work was on the andy griffith show which is just bewildering to me like the man the man was integral to so many sitcoms for the late 60s and through the 70s uh but just very surprised he wrote for the andy griffith show that doesn't make sense to me but i mean uh, what part of it doesn't make sense but it happened i don't know it just seems like i don't know I don't know. I I I, I don't want to accuse you of something, but I assume you are doing the, the thing with Andy Griffith's show where you assume Andy Griffith's show is much older than it actually is because the way they shot it to be. Oh no! But, right, right. Yeah. Of course. No, I don't assume it's. I don't assume it's older than sixty-eight. I know it's not that old. It just seems the the tenor of comedy of the Andy Griffith show versus something like Taxi or even Mary Tyler Moore. It's just so different. Uh, that, that's true. I mean, yeah, yeah I, I guess that's I'm not true. going to say that Andy Griffith himself, Andy Griffith himself, fairly progressive guy, and the show uh, was not was was not the bastion of conservatism that it might get written off of as. But um, I'm not trying to do that. But uh, obviously, between '68 and Mary Tyler Moore in 1970, there was a sea change over what could be done. In oh yeah, I a, mean sitcom right a lot of that stuff happened pretty <laughs> quickly in that time period right yeah. like, and a lot of things even that you yeah. know were going on at the same time even in sitcoms right. that aren't brooks works like i mean well, there was a lot like going uh, on, right and in the entertainment industry widely wide more widely like the bbs series we just ended <laughs> and talked about for a month and a half 
is is happening concurrently with Mary Tyler Moore. It was way more than a month and a half for us. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Uh, We. I'm still somewhat resentful of that. If you can't, Um, if you can't tell, I did not realize there was a dramatic spinoff of Mary Tyler Moore that somehow lasted from 1977 to 1982, just called Lou Grant. And starring Ed Asner as Lou Grant. <laughs> that's hilarious, actually. But, like, here's the thing, though. The thing that's... A, like, 114 episodes, five seasons. How have I never heard of this? Because <laughs> anyway, sorry. They made so, so much yeah. TV back then. Like, it's, it's yeah. almost incomprehensible when you think about it because of what the period we now live in. In, in all seriousness, yeah. because we don't live in that period anymore. We live in a time when, like... Every show is eight episodes or maybe ten, and and it gets maybe one or two seasons because the the market's completely like fucked up and weird. At least the shows that like get a lot of press, right? They're still making a bunch of those the garbage shows, you know. Right. Uh, we just nobody watches them, or, or somebody watches them, but I don't know who they are. Um, they're on. They're all over Hulu. I just don't ever watch any of them. Um, <laughs> right, 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 right. Uh, but like you know, they made so much TV back then, like just hundreds, thousands of hours of TV all the time. It's it's almost incomprehensible. Yes, it is. It is incomprehensible to me that there is a Lou Grant TV show. Like I knew about Rhoda. I knew about Phyllis. knew about knew about all of the spinoffs of Mary Tyler Moore. Except for Lou Grant, apparently. <laughs> um, well, you should watch it. You should see if you can get that, it somewhere and watch it. Oh, yeah. You know, one that seems to have well. lasted the longest out of out of those as well. 114 episodes. Beats out Rota by four episodes. There you go. Uh, man, I've I've not watched a lot of a lot of any of those shows. I've watched bits and pieces yeah. of all of those shows. Right. Um, I mean, I've watched a lot of Andy Griffith shows. Who hasn't? Right. Listen, I definitely don't have any. I don't have an encyclopedic knowledge of the Mary Tyler Moore show either, but uh, Taxi and the Mary Tyler Moore show are are, are shows I, I mean remember watching on Nick at Night. Yeah, exactly. You would you would catch like an episode yeah. or two here and there, and yeah. you would know. I mean, yeah, exactly. Um, the good shows, funny, very funny. Like he's a funny yeah. writer. He's good at it. I mean, I would say that the the qualities. I okay, we should start talking about the movie that we watched. Of course. I would say that the qualities that make him an excellent TV writer are the things that annoyed the fuck out of me in this movie. (laughs) I found this movie, I know I'm supposed to like it, and I did like it. Here's the thing. I did like it, but I liked it the way I like a good sitcom. Okay. I didn't. I kept why like liking it and enjoying myself, and then also kind of at the same time, like kind of despising it at the same time. Can you can you dig into that? Oh, a I absolutely bit? can. What? I've spent all day yeah. thinking about it. Um, okay, good. Basically, my problems with it. Well, first of all, it has the same sort of uh, plot dynamics and motion of a sitcom. Uh, okay. Things happen fast because. In a sitcom, because it's 30 minutes long. Well, it's not 30 minutes long. It's 23 minutes long or whatever, 24 minutes long, right? So things happen and resolve themselves extremely quickly. Um, Yeah. Now, mind you, there's an overarching plot, but that's just like a sitcom too, right? Like, especially a modern sitcom will have an an overarching plot. Most, even old sitcoms did, right? 
but but individual yeah. episodes have to happen and then resolve within the narrow window. You need you need resolution for the event of the day within the episode. Uh, yeah. It's the broadcast news isn't that bad, but it does feel that way. It, it has the pace of a sitcom to me. Yeah, you think you think that the film feels episodic in that manner? No, I don't think it that feels episodic. Like it feels pockets? like he is. It does kind of actually, but not quite as yeah. long as a sitcom would. Right? They're not twenty, thirty minute yeah. pockets. They are five right, minute pockets, uh, which is right. not great. I don't love that, but it's fine. Uh, but yeah. what I'm saying is, that it is paced like a sitcom. Yeah, it feels like. You, I don't know how to describe it because it's really hard to describe. It feels like it was written by a sitcom writer. Yeah, well, it was. I, yeah, well, yes. but the problem is, is like movies aren't but written it, by sitcom writers, right? right. Like, it is also written by a like, sitcom writer who's who's writing a movie, um, and had had already won Oscars for Terms of Endearment. Right, and I've never seen Terms of Endearment. We have. I, we I don't watch. get the impression. Have we? No, we haven't. No, we haven't. I, I would, said we didn't watch. Oh, okay. I would argue, I, I assume yeah. that Terms of Endearment is not like this. Just based on everything I've ever heard about the movie and things like that, I don't get the impression it is like this. I think the problem yeah. is is that the topic of this hues too close the things he's already done that he can't help himself. Mm-hmm. He just slips Maybe. into sitcom writer mode. You've got, like, joke... Slips into to a dramatic bit, slips back into a joke, slips back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, for yeah. two hours. Um, and I think having a this manic, not not quite manic pixie dream girl, but kind of uh manic, certainly central certainly character. not a manic pixie dream girl, but yes, but she's very manic. But she also, is very, manic. but yes, a manic character, a very manic yes. uh, uh central character aids in that because. Yeah. She's constantly doing that waffling herself back and forth between these two states. So it helps. She can just drive that forward. And she's doing it so fast that it feels like a show to me. I have other problems with it, but that is my, that is one of my Hallmark problems. Yeah. With it. Like, and the thing is, right. I like TV. So I found myself liking it while I was watching it. But then every time there was a even a law in the show, I felt, or in the shows, in the movie, I felt the weird sense of like, oh, like this doesn't feel like a movie to me. Yeah. There's no time. There's no long dramatic arcs for any of the characters. I mean, there is a long dramatic story arc, but the characters don't go through mm-hmm. long emotional periods at all. Everything is this real staccato rhythm all the way through the movie. Okay. To the point where it doesn't feel right. real. And that's the, the hallmark of sitcoms, is they don't feel like life. Not really. Yeah. I don't feel like I'm watching life, which is what I do expect from a movie, generally speaking, unless it is just a blanket comedy, which this is not exactly just a flat right. comedy. Yeah. There are elements of it. I mean, it's funny. Yeah. Uh, Again, part of I what... laughed. <laughs> like I, I yeah. found myself amused. I'm not saying I wasn't amused. I just part of... also disturbed. Part of what Brooks gets praised for um, is his ability to write a comedy scene that will make you laugh, but also uh, sort of segue into something dramatic or some other emotional uh, pivot in in a way that feels natural and, and connects. Um, I don't feel like you, these feel natural. Some of those did not feel natural or connect. Almost, I want to say <laughs> yeah. this really clearly. Nothing in this movie feels natural to me. 
Okay. Beginning to end, I do not. Well, I I, enga- I could not engage with it on a like, on a true emotional yeah. level, in in a way that like I'm not accustomed to. Like, we've watched a lot of really good movies, and I expect movies to sort of give me sort of some sort of emotional feelings, like some sort of arc. Like I said, I laughed at the at some yeah. of the jokes, but I found the characters. Well. Uh, like hard to identify with and 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 connect with yeah. on an emotional level, partially because they were just changing their emotions so fast. Yeah, I don't know about that. I think I think to me they they almost don't change their emotions. Well, I mean, in that staccato rhythm so back and forth between the joke yeah. and the and I'm not well, saying yeah. like right, they right, do right. not evolve yeah, okay, very much as people. Saying. That yeah. is also true. Yeah, uh, <laughs> but like I don't care. I can deal with characters not evolving that's that's fine right. you can make characters who don't evolve who don't change well, as the, long as your story it's is not changing. that they don't evolve it's that no one uh, no one gets what they want which i don't so so the ending <laughs> is unsatisfactory in that manner I, I, but that, we don't obviously you and i uh, we're we're used to movies that end on a unsatisfactory in fact i Again, found this BBS too box, satisfactory so. in some ways because he does feel a need to tie it up <laughs> in a way that i wouldn't right, feel right, compelled right, right. to like I don't feel a compulsion yeah. to see that. Like we have the post, yeah, that post, the last episode of the of the series, sort of ending. Yeah. We're like, oh, it's eight or whatever, seven years later, and everybody's right, wearing right, slight right. No, a slight is... bit of age makeup, except for poor Albert Brooks, who's wearing a lot of age makeup. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Uh, it turns out, it turns out that's uh, he was just using the young makeup. The oh, okay, time. I see. So and he Albert was pulling Brooks a De Niro, like, huh? No, no, no. This, they they, yeah, they no. got out the deep um, fake. They digitally de aged. Nineteen eighty seven was very good technology. They got the Tron computers. Tom's Tom's just a sociopath, and that's uh, the point of Tom's the plot around Tom right. is us coming to terms with the fact that he's a sociopath, right? Uh, and uh, and Holly Hunter discovering uh, Jane discovering that he's a sociopath. Uh, and uh, you know, well, he's um, a very specific Aaron... kind of sociopath that is like hyper rewarded. In I mean, like the movie is right, talking right, about right, a yeah. real topic. I, I'm not arguing that it's not. Although I will yes. complain about that topic in a minute. Yeah, but because <laughs> well, I also find the topic of this movie annoying. But yeah, but let's continue I, talking about the characters. If we hadn't already watched Network, uh, I would have made us watch Network. As a bonus feature, right after watching broadcast news, but like, <laughs> but, the, honestly speaking, uh, <laughs> this movie doesn't hold a candle to Network for me. It doesn't. Like, it Network doesn't. is such yeah. a and better dealing... commentary on the same thing. Yeah, it's it's like night and day to me. And maybe it's because we watched Network first that I'm just sort of a little bit like yeah. put off. And Network's Network's also 11 years before this and happening at a time where Network is prescient, whereas this is about things that are actually happening. In right, have already like have already, already been happening, right? Like have been already yeah. like CNN's launched by this. It's point, not predicting right? anything. You know, it are, is just like commenting yeah. on a thing that's already happening. Right. I don't think right. necessarily doing a very good job of commenting on the things that are happening. Personally, yeah. Well, it's. I think to that end, it plays too close to the chest and too close to reality to comment well yeah uh because it's not like network network is big right network is bombastic uh right whereas this this isn't isn't going for that broad satire um or even specific satire in some some instances of network um 
it's not going for satire period it's uh brooks has a reporter background he's been embedded with reporters uh jane's character is based on a particular person uh and and very very deeply based on that particular person. I didn't unfortunately um, watch the one for that. I ran out of time for the special feature, yeah. so I watched they, the two things. They we look like about. they look like each other. Okay, uh, they, um, yeah, uh, yeah. That person is a. Uh, uh, there's a bonus feature with her. Yeah, I didn't. Yeah, uh, that's Susan Zielinski. Yeah, um, and Susan Zielinski stayed on with production not only as the basis of holly hunter's character but also uh as a uh as uh advisor for making things look realistic and feel realistic within the production side of things um and they're shooting they're not shooting in actual offices but they're shooting in office uh, rented offices to look like the actual offices and set up to be the actual offices in this moment of transition between, uh, you know, manual, manual typewriters and and computers and the digitization of this entire industry that has fully taken over and is also uh, part and parcel to you know the te- the technological advances here just facilitate the uh, the soft news that <laughs> that this movie is complaining about, but not necessarily complaining about. Well, it, I mean, that's another weird thing from one of the bonus features is that. Brooks at least seems to believe he's not passing judgment on any of his characters. I mean, he obviously that, that these, is, but <laughs> it's fine. He obviously is. But but he presents that these three people just represent different ideas about what news is, uh, which is weird to hear him say because Tom is obviously wrong in the movie. Yeah, I mean, right? Tom and is obviously— I don't obvi- think that's we, just my personal baggage. And, like, they, they, they try to ar- he tries to argue that— um, <laughs> The goal here is to not have any one be like the obvious choice, which I agree as far as the yeah. love triangle is concerned, because they're right. both nightmare right. people. Yeah. She should absolutely not spend the rest of her life with. <laughs> right. Um, right. And I'm glad she doesn't. And for different uh, reasons. And I and yeah. I found I was gratified that she does not. I think. Yes. I think. Yes. I don't know that Brooks agrees. Actually, I think he thinks right. there's a right one and yeah. a wrong one, uh, despite what he says. Uh, but be- well. Well, the bonus feature just, about the cut we only scene get, does not necessarily indicate right. that that's the one he thought was the right one. It's just the one that he decided to would be the most exciting to do that like surprise filming of. Right. Uh, right. Right. Because he is we the handsome lead, right? Kind of thing. Right. We don't get a deleted scene of an ending where she goes with Aaron. There is an right? implication uh, that he was thinking about, but in, in the in the discussion of the deleted yeah. scenes, there was an I implication think, that like that he was kind of thinking about doing both, but more that he was inspired to do that yeah. more out of a sense of aping you, a thing that he had seen in another film more than actually trying to accomplish yeah. a specific goal. Right. Uh, do you think that our opinions of this movie would change dramatically if he had pulled a, uh, a, a, a clue and released? Oh God, I would be, I would, it would go up tenfold. <laughs> I, so I kind of, that's what I was hoping would happen. I was, I was kind of yeah. hoping that, but, uh, got a little disappointed. I mean, I don't know. pulling off the clue, the release in different theaters is, is an extra level step, but at least doing the DVD yeah. version of just having every ending play at the end, just in a row. Yeah. Uh, as, as far as the DVD release is concerned. Um, but yeah, like, yeah. um, my my issue okay so as far as the actual like 
what the topic is. I agree with everything you just said. But I have additional yeah. things I do want to add to it. And these are just my perspectives okay. on it. My yeah, One of, of my problems this, is, is that... For this podcast is for, please. Network <laughs> seems to understand this point, and this movie does not. Brooks yeah. has a kind of brain that a lot of people have and still have where he's nostalgic for a thing that never existed. Uh-huh. The idea, because there's a certain sort of valorization of the hard news era that is also a kind of great man of history sort of nonsense that Tom represents for his own version of the modern like modern news, right? Like your, your Dan Rathers right. and those guys. And, and Brooks sort of comments a little bit down on that in some of his um, commentary, but like doesn't, doesn't seem to engage with it on a on a completely self-aware basis. That that idea yeah. that those men were like unbiased, truth-telling, non non-political entities is is a, is a neo is neoliberal brain is what it is. <laughs> like the idea, yeah. like what's all you have to do is go into the internet and type in yellow journalism. Like the idea yeah. that like what's that Aaron Sorkin show, the newsroom? Yeah, it's exactly this. That really, all yeah. I could think about yeah. the entire time is, oh well, this is just better written Sorkin. This is if yeah. Sorkin. Wasn't so far up his own ass that he couldn't even write anymore. I mean, like Brooks is just a better writer, but it's the same. It's it's just the fucking West Wing. It's just newsroom. It's just the same like idea that at some point there were good men doing good things without without biases. He makes a couple jabs and stuff, right? Jack Nicholson's character, like they make a quick like, hey, you know, you could cut your salary by a million. Uh, right, which right. is a nice little jab, but I don't think it digs into the heart the way that like he 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 pedals it really lightly uh, because I don't yeah. think he really believes it. Well, I think I think one thing that that suggests to me that he does really believe it is that all of our all of our people in this generation of of what we're seeing here, right, of the the nineteen eighties newsroom people. Even the people who believe that news should just be hard news, the old school ideology people, can't produce something like that. Aren't those people? Right. Aaron Aaron could never be Murrow, uh, as much as he might admire Murrow. Aaron cannot be Murrow, uh, and ultimately, Jane does not want to produce good night and good luck style. <laughs> Right, but uh, and that, but and that, but the thing about it is, is that like, that's that's true, but yeah, like, what I'm what I'm kind of getting at though is that like, there's an assumption that that kind of journalism was pure, that that stuff right. was was true news, and while they may not want to produce that that thing, they do look at that with right. this high esteem that says like that's our that's our that's our role model, that's the person we're trying yeah. to. To copy. Where, That's what we're trying to accomplish. Where, where, where I think this movie kind of gets into that, but I don't know because I don't know politically how how it's actually being produced, is that there is an American status quo jingoism going on in all the news production we see in this in this film. Right. right? Um, not just the that Libby is the boogeyman of the day when the movie comes out, so we get that as the terrorist thing, but... Uh, 
there's there's a really interesting thing because uh, I I sort of follow along sometimes when I watch a movie with the with the Wikipedia uh, plot description yeah. just to see what sort of biases <laughs> yeah what kind of people what people are saying about it yeah <laughs> yeah and the uh, the second paragraph of the Wikipedia plot description is Aaron and Jane go to Nicaragua to report on the Sandinista rebels there and get caught up in a shooting battle between them and the Contras, but remain unscathed, blah, 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 blah. That sentence suggests that they're embedded with Sandinistas. Right. They are not. They are embedded with Contras. Right, yes. I saw that uh, as well. I was like, well, but even yeah. um, Brooks's character even says with the Sandinistas. And I was like, you're, that, what? Well, I don't know. Yeah. Um, yeah, he mentions them. He says they're going to get into a firefight with the Sandinistas. I thought he said that they were like, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I had a weird sort of like whiplash when I was like, I was like, wait a minute. None of this makes any sense. Like, they're not embedded with the socialists. That's impossible. They, like, sorry. That's yeah, not true. They are, yeah. They are established when they first get there. It is very explicit. He says to her that he th- that they think that the Sandinistas will be on the move that night so that they will get Yes, into, okay, you're right. Like yes, the, yeah, yeah, the, yeah, you're right. The, the soldiers think that the Sandinistas will be on the move. Um, and they are talking about weapons deliveries coming to the Contras, which, uh, writing in 87... Um, <laughs> right, you know, we all know where those weapon Gable deliveries Brooks was are working on from. this. Yeah. Right, right, right. Um, you know, that, that hadn't, like, nationally broke while while he was writing this necessarily, but uh, it was, you know, <laughs> when did the news on Iran and Contra actually break? I don't know. Probably probably around late. Uh, it was definitely during production. So, like, anyway. Um, I guess my point, my point is... Uh, recognize. I think. I think that within that, Brooks is recognizing that that great era hard news also was approaching things in in objectivity that just wasn't objective. Uh, because it was, <laughs> it is objective to a status quo. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to tell, though, right? Like that's that's kind of know. my point right. is that like it's really hard to. He's he's not making his idea. I, yeah, like he's not making his ideas very clear, and like and to a certain extent, it still sort of feels like he. What with his news background and everything like that, it still kind of has this feeling of like there's something admirable in the way that news was done then that is not done now. And like I don't know, I'm just always bothered by that that sort of method of thinking about things like this because we all know that a, like uh, from a objective perspective, it, like that's just not true. Like news has always been hyper political. It's always been a very specific tool of state and stuff like that. And like there was never a time when it wasn't really like, um, and so like I find that kind of notion to be off-putting and i don't know it just feels to me like that's what the movie was kind of to a certain extent like trying to say that like well there was something admirable back then that doesn't exist yeah well you know i also think your 
you're right to say they sort of pull the punch, but uh, Jack Nicholson, even, you know, we've seen a lot of Jack Nicholson being Jack Nicholson. I think Jack Nicholson is being Jack Nicholson in this movie. I, and yes. I think that they cast Jack Nicholson in this role, uh, not just as a favor and he likes all these people and he wanted to be the cameo and yeah, it's Jack Nicholson and, and that's so great, but also because Jack Nicholson is a sleazebag and this character is also Right, yeah, no, I meant, I meant more <laughs> that like, there's there's very little that's actually charming about Jack Nicholson in this movie, yeah. like the, or or even really right. meant to be charming in this in this movie, and yeah. maybe it's because I'm so off put by Jack Nicholson as a person that I don't know right. when he's, and he's he's trying to be charming, but like I just didn't what, find it like that same kind of way. What the layoff scene establishes about Jack Nicholson's character is that he is aligned with the uh with the capitalist owners, right? Of, yes, yeah. And and that he is there to appear as if he is aligned with, with the workers to to uh, soften the blow. Right, right. Um, right. And everything we... Everyone's obsession with, with his approval, I think is just... I don't know. It's, I think it's meant to be off-putting. Oh, I, I agree. <laughs> I, I think so. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I just don't think that... And this is just me putting my sort of my feeling that I got throughout the movie. I, is guess, I don't think that that's necessarily the commentary that we're talking about, though. Yeah. Like if he's yeah, Jack Nicholson right. already represents the thing that that Brooks is in theory complaining about. He's not Murrow. Yeah. He's already right. the thing that Tom is. Th- yeah. This is just like a ghost of future of, quite... of, of of you know Christmas right. future for right. for Tom basically. Yeah. Jack Nicholson's character is also a sociopath who doesn't care about other people. Right. And they could have they could have done more, and they could have very simply done more by having him make a pass at Jane, right? Uh, to to sort of cement that he's a sleaze right. in that way too, right? Um, but didn't, right? And there's no deleted scene that contains anything uh, <laughs> approaching that. You know, he he does talk about her coming to work for him, and there's maybe in in underpinning. Uh, in that, right? But that's that's reading more than is in. Than in the movie, there is there might be subtext there, but if if there is, it's it's very subtext. And and Brooks is good at very subtext, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, yeah. So you know, I just I feel like part of this movie does acknowledge that the Murrows of the world were just uh, while while being propped up as objective, they are. American political talking pieces and talking. talking yeah, and it might. It, it may also just be Aaron that, like, is, I, I, uh, I was no, kind every, of off. Everyone in this movie, right? I was it, kind of the off. The entire, the entire news apparatus of this movie is just parroting particular talking points of American imperialism. Even as within it, they, they might take down a secretary of labor or something. They're still going to. <laughs> Support, you know, it's it's it is that Sorkin esque. Well, and that and that, that's my that pro- habits, right? Network news, and, and and has always, right? And I I think that's what makes it so hard for me to separate out is that like, if he is is commenting on it, it yeah, feels so is... Sorkin esque that like right. Sorkin is not commenting on it, one hundred percent. And like, yeah. if he is doing it, he's soft pedaling it really hard. I think, yeah. Uh, yeah, I think yeah. Yes. 
Um, right, right. And even network didn't, you know, network, network established the corporations as, as in control of the messaging of the news. Right. But, um, but this isn't even dealing with that. Right. No one, no one government wise or, or, or corporate wise is telling our reporters what they can and can't say. Right. Um, and this isn't a movie about censorship, so good because it would get too, too much. Not what Brooks wants this movie right. to be, which is a rom com, office movie, really, uh, just set in this particular world. Um, so yeah, you know, it's not. Network is a satire of the news agent, eh, news industry. This is not. This is a rom com set in the news. <laughs> Right, so and I find what, that what we can expect from this movie, right? Right, but I find that whole combat the thing you but. just described is a fundamentally disappointing thing to me, right? Because that's where oh, we absolutely. get into it Especially becoming from, a sitcom. Is it yeah. just feels like right. what a sitcom of the same yeah. topic would be? Yeah, especially from somebody who we know can do hard hitting political stuff in interesting ways. Yeah, or, it's just, or at least harder edged political stuff, uh, if not hard hitting. You know. Um, yeah. Uh, I think the characters are interesting. I think they're a little flat in that they all sort of inhabit one one mental disorder. Each, yes, basically. yes, they do. Yeah, I mean, well, yeah. that to me is another sitcom-y thing, right? Is they, they right, exist right. Yes. as sort of flat things that interact in a very predictable way. Um, by, yeah. by a few, like by 10 minutes in the, like whatever, 15 20 minutes in the movie you kind of know how every interaction between them will play out at least yeah. on a basic level yes and no though i think i think i was surprised at the choir moments that uh aaron and tom have where they actually connect as human beings every so often right okay <laughs> you know they're not just they're not just rivals even though they are uh they are both they are rivals for jane's affection and and you know, Jane's not real. Jane's only half in love with either of them to begin with, right? You know, right? I so, mean, they're both. Like, they um, basically represent the only two men she knows, <laughs> right? right? It's that classic right. situation yes. of like, well, there's only the two women, the two men, so they obviously right, must right, be right. romantic uh, possibilities, right? Uh, which you know, yeah, right. And she, and she, from the entirety of the movie, established her as someone who. Is in love with her work, not in love with right. other human beings. Right. Um, yeah. So you know, uh, I really liked. There's a really extensive, uh, the scene with Aaron and Tom, with Tom giving advice to Aaron on how to anchor. Um, a lot of a good chunk of the deleted scene stuff uh, is. Uh, it's dedicated to that. Like that there's, there's a version of that scene that is at least twice as long as what we get in the movie, um, where he's giving different advice and they just connect very interestingly. And there's also one of the other deleted scenes I found really interesting. It's an entire subplot. So I get that it's cut because it would have, it, it was needless. Um, what is interesting to make Tom a little bit more rounded of a character is that, uh, in the movie, we get hints of things. 
he makes reference to, he asks Aaron if he can sit in on this interview that he's about to do with a guy from state. And later, uh, Aaron is said, or uh, rather Tom, later Tom is said to have a source at the State Department. And there's a whole deleted subplot of what that source is. And it's the guy Aaron was supposed to interview about being openly gay and working for the State Department. And then Tom connects with him and uh, gets a drink with him, and he becomes his source, mostly because the guy has a crush on Tom. Okay. Uh, but but Tom is not. Tom is not. Uh, I mean, it, it is another sort of example of Tom using someone. Right. Uh, an example of Tom using a source that we don't get in the main film, uh, despite, you know, really. Um, it's not necessarily presented as Tom, like, stringing him along about the possibility of a romantic thing coming from it, but uh, but this guy obviously is only helping Tom because they ask Russia. Right. And then during the whole Libya, during the whole Libya crisis thing, uh, he's... Uh, uh, Buddy is the character's name. Buddy shows up at the studio when Tom calls him to try and get information uh, and explains that he doesn't have a source for any information because he broke up with his roommate who was the connection, the social connection to all of the people he was getting information from for Tom. Um, and then he kisses Tom on the cheek and gives him some advice about being true to yourself or something. Yeah, it's very cheesy, actually. Uh, but... Um, well, and that's and I, but, but I that, think that, that it's interesting that it is a cut scene because what you described, yeah. it, you kind of described the whole thing, and then you're like, "Well, that's kind of cheesy, really." That's the yeah. movie. This was maybe right, too right. cheesy for this movie, <laughs> but the movie is yeah. that. It is a bunch of that kind of like semi-sentimental, sort of cheesy things happening. I mean, it starts with all with with both of them as children. Which is maybe the cheesiest thing a movie could possibly do. Because we need to establish yeah. that they've always been this way. A thing, mind you, that is not, that is also a very, a very, a thing that doesn't feel real to me. Is this like, well, I mean, like, she was always like this. She's, she has evolved not at all as a human being in fully 20 years of life. He hasn't, I, you know what I mean? Like, it's, the, I hate it when movies start with, like, scenes of the people as children to establish their character. Like, right. I, is the cheesiest sitcomiest bullshit in the world to me, and it drives me up a wall. Yes, I hate it. I hate it. Hate it. I saw it doing it, and I was like, "What are we doing here?" And then, against my against my will, the movie still charmed me. But I feel like it cheated. I feel like it tricked me because I don't. If I describe anything in the movie, I don't like it. But at the moment, you're like kind of wrapped up in it, right? Um. I do not like the what what I think Hans Zimmer is probably the one who's talking describes as the best chase scene in the history yeah. of film. Joan Cusack running <laughs> through the it off- is a really good scene. All right, it's not though. I don't like shit like that. And this is not me like protesting that like, uh, but I really enjoyed it at the time. I actually I groaned when that scene happened. It's so silly. It, again, it feels like a sitcom. Like, is it better? Is that even better than anything Sorkin would do? Yes, of course it is. Because, again, Sorkin would just make that a walk and talk for some reason. 
Uh, right. Sorkin, Sorkin wouldn't have played that sequence for comedy. Right. Yes. Yeah. So, it would have. It still would have uh, happened, basically. But yes, it would not have been com- yeah. comedic in the same way. Uh, yes. But like Hans Hans Zimmer, obviously being hyperbolic about it. Uh, best best car scene ever, car chase scene ever. But I it, I thought it was fun. But maybe I just like Joan Cusack. I mean, much. I think that's I think uh, that's the case. But because like honestly yeah. speaking, like one or any one of those obstacles would be a fine yeah. little thing to have in there. But it's too much. The, it's a, it's a classic case of knee, too much. The ten foot knee slide under the uh, that's the one that kills the, me. That one's too the, much. <laughs> That specifically that's is too much. Yeah. Jumping over the kid is a bit too much. The slide under the cabinet yeah. is too, too much. At some point, you yeah. broke my suspension of disbelief. <laughs> and you're not allowed to do that in a movie that's like this. And there's, you know, there's a lot of stuff sort of like that 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 isn't about our main three characters that feels like fluff. That, you know, if we cut out, the movie would lose. And I think the movie would would lose some of its comedy without without that. It would lose some of its comedy without the uh, minute-long sequence with the composers that doesn't contain any of our main characters. Right, just right. Just as the executive. Well, it, it's, and, it's, a, it's, a, the, it's a sitcom uh, thing, right? You have this little yeah. bit of time that you need to fill, and you need a joke here because you need, yeah. to, you need to keep bouncing back between drama and comedy, right? It needs to bounce right. back and forth. Right. And that means that sometimes yeah. you just have to slide a joke in because you need a joke right. here, even if you can't yeah. figure out how to make it involve your main characters. Right. And that is, you know, um, other movies would be tighter than that. They would make the joke work in story a little better than something like The Composers. The Composers is a complete non sequitur in this movie, right? right? It's, and it's, it's a family work guy joke, in, basically. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's not. It's not not a Simpsons joke. Yeah, that, you're, uh, that a fair just, fair point. Yeah, yes, fair point. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> so it's you know it's, and I'm sure that sort of thing happened in in Taxi and Mary Tyler Moore too. Well, that's right? the, that's the other thing is uh, you and I just, didn't. I mean, like I've never spent enough time with any of those shows. Well, right. we, here's the thing though. Bear in mind that like those those really those kind of sitcoms also though they have usually have a plot that decides that thirty minutes or that you know that twenty four minutes right. they don't have as much filler time because twenty four minutes fair. is not yeah. a lot of time to tell an entire plot. Yeah, and and seems like the composer thing and and when he when he tells Nicholson that they could knock off a million from his salary, uh, are humanizing the. The corporate overlord in a weird way that I don't that I, I don't, don't quite understand why. I, I yeah, I mean it again, it kind of feels to me like neoliberal brain. Like it just does. Yeah, it's like well, he's a person too. Like he doesn't want to be firing people. He just has to. Yeah. And a, another thing that comes up in a deleted scene with uh uh with the boss, uh Ernie. Um I think Ernie is his, I don't I know the names of anybody. Sure I only know the names of the characters we have talked yeah, about Ernie. because you said them first. Yeah, yeah. Ernie, the editor, um, who that is seems like uh, the one who is at. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the one. <laughs> yeah, that's actually another thing. When Albert Brooks' character complains about Tom's use of alliteration coming from a guy whose name is Aaron Altman in the movie, I just right, found kind yeah. of funny. Um, well, but Ernie, the editor, uh, is the guy who tells. Uh, <laughs> Who, in his conversation in the office with the executive, 
uh, says, you know, I'm I'm young enough to I'm I'm just young enough to be flattered by the by the term early retirement. And the guy thinking he's on the level says, Yeah, you just let me know if there's anything else I can do for you. And Ernie says, Well, I wish you would die and then walks away. Like that's what I'm talking about. Yes. Like our, Yeah. Brooks is a very good writer. And so his jokes are yes. funny. Like they are funny right. jokes. And at least uh at least Tom witnesses that interaction is why we see it, right? right? It's not just an awesome Right, word, right. Yeah, but, but I think, yeah, the line is like, yeah. yeah, you could die first or something like that. Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I hope you die soon, I think. is is Anyway, whatever it is, it's great. Um, and Brooks is a better comedy writer than you and I are, so yeah. we're not going <laughs> to come up with a version of it. He's He's got a deleted scene, too, of him at home where he tells his wife that they're firing more people than they originally projected they're going to fire and i don't think we get that textually in the movie no and all of the stuff to like humanize the boss to make him feel like he's on their side would be very dramatically undercut in a smart way if we got textually in the movie that they were ending up clearing house much more deeply than they had meant. Than well, see, that's the thing is, I don't think that to. the movie in the end actually tries to undercut the idea of him being a, it being humanized, right, at all in the in the grand right. scheme of things. Yeah. Because, yeah, I mean, you mentioned that, which is definitely would would help, but like we don't ever get the we're never like told something to the effect of like, well, we're never made to understand that like he gets a benefit out of doing this. Which is which is which is an important element of like he's he's this the boss ends up being a very nebulous character who's not def- his role in in the company is not very well defined. What I mean is like we don't ever get to discuss whether or not he like is he get you know what kind of benefits does he get as a result of like cutting for example more people than necessary can shaving the bottom right. line even further down. Instead, the book, the movie just sort of portrays it as like, well, it came from the top. It's like, well, how much more top is there above you, frankly? Right, like, right, right. Honestly yeah. speaking, like you were probably part and parcel of this decision making, and we're just not. And I, and I get that Bruce is not that interested in that topic, but like, I am. <laughs> like right. I am. Like it's a movie where a lot of the dramatic things that happen in the movie hinge on the fact that half the staff is being fired. Right. And then, and like, again, we don't again, talk net- about them being fired, really. Yeah. Again, Network deals with that executive side more directly in in an interesting way. Right. But, again, Network is a very different movie to what I know, Brooks I is know. trying to do. It's just, just, it's, one, it's, just one we like better. I mean, uh, well, it's, yeah. it's, it's an interesting choice to, like, make the firing of a bunch of people a central element of the plot and then not sort of, like, really... Hammer it, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, not really like give really stark and like powerful commentary on it, right? It's like, well, it's just a thing that happens, basically, is what it. This is just a thing that happens in newsrooms, and Tom, you know, right. offhandedly mentions like, well, this has happened in every newsroom I've been in, which right. is a great little bit which of commentary, but we don't explore it, we don't dig any deeper. Yeah. yeah, actually, it is a really interesting thing with Tom saying that though, because that's that's presented. Tom presents that as a reason he's not emotionally invested in all of the people losing jobs around him. Right. But but also part of the movie is that Tom can pretend to be emotionally invested in things. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Like he's making an active choice not to be in that moment, um, which is, you know, just another indication of 
Tom being a bad guy. Yeah. Right. A more subtle indication of Tom being a bad guy is that he can't he can't muster the energy to pretend to be sad right. about his coworkers. Or, yeah, I can't being can't bo- be bothered, right? Like it's oh, this isn't right. worth like he only does that. He only musters the energy to do that when it benefits him and there's no right. obvious benefit to pretending right. to care about this is the well-being of his coworkers, right? Um I mean, Tom is characterized fairly well as far as like being a like mm-hmm. Brooks does get across Tom being like kind of a dangerous being uh fairly yeah. well. The problem is is that that like that sort of still leans in the sort of like it's sort of to a certain extent. This is just me maybe being like overly critical. But it sort of leans into this uh, like similar to the Murrow thing and all that where this like this idea that like well some of this is lies at the feet of like the sorts of people they hired right like well like the existence and prevalence of the toms is not because they exist but because the system exists right like like tom is rewarded for this sociopathy because of the system not the other way around like and 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 brooks knows that but like he doesn't there's still it just sort of plays a little bit with this idea that like well because tom is one of the main focuses of the movie and he is obviously a bad guy there's sort of it can feel at times like that's like well that's what we want to comment on is these kinds of bad guys but that's not really doesn't have a lot of value yeah and i don't i don't think brooks is like me is like trying to purposely obfuscate like what the causes are or anything of that for that particular element of it it's just because he you know he needs to tell a a story in a movie and he's focused on ground level, you know, kind of ground level people. The sorts of people that the system rewards will be end up being main characters as well. It's just an interesting sort of result of the whole thing because we focus a lot on Tom. And Tom being a main character means that Tom becomes sort of the boogeyman of this situation yeah. rather than like the corporate overlords being the boogeyman. That they should be, right, right. Tom is Tom is a tool being used by the corporate, right? Absolutely. Like these are right. useful people to yeah. this 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 new, right, sort and, of quote unquote new journalism, right. And Bill Rorish, Jack Nicholson's character, is clearly clearly seen to be someone who those uh, that same corporate structure right. I mean, he has is used the, o- the past, old guard of the, the exact same, same right. thing, yeah. And 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 As does said, sort he's, of indicate he's that Tom's that's, ghost of future. It's yeah. It's 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 sort of an indication that it's always actually been this way, but again, Brooks right. doesn't really hammer on that very much. Right, and everybody else admires him for you know it's that sort of that shifting baseline syndrome too. Right, Aaron and Jane both have come up in a way where Bill is the pinnacle. Right, he's the he's the thing they're familiar with as as the baseline norm. So even if there has been a shift, Bill is still not what they need to strive to be. Right. right? And and, and yeah. we don't, you know, and they're so far removed from Bill. Right. We don't know, like, you know, one of the comments like, well, you know, Tom's not writing his own stories. Like, okay, is Bill writing his own stories? Like, we don't, they're not, they're so far removed from you know it's 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 got a lot of yeah. weird idea it's got a lot of ideas like that that are kind of like it still seems nostalgic for something as a, they they are obviously but like you kind of sort of 
end up transcribing that onto to Brooks's viewpoint a little bit too in the end. It, it feels like. Um, yeah, I think that's fair. Especially when you consider um, when you take into account the Mary Tyler Moore show and other things that Brooks did in his past. This has been a long running topic for him. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's something he yeah, cares about, he's... but it also makes me worry that he doesn't necessarily hasn't maybe dug deep enough for it uh, in, into it. And he's of the right age and and era and things like that to have that problem, right? To be like, well, the these newsmen of the past were straight shooters who like did their own reporting and like and cared about hard news. Cuz like, you know, a big thing they talk about one of the special features for the Mary Tyler Moore show is the idea of like soft news you know yeah. which is like the precursor of the 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 now like non news news right <laughs> but like it's always been that way it's never not been that way like newspapers were chock full of like random it's just the way the news has always been like the idea that news is a thing that of sort of monolithic entity that can exist is is a is a broken way to think about things and is and is very neoliberal is very Cultural hegemonic, <laughs> hegemonic. How would you make that into that? Yeah, yeah. Hegemonic. Yes, thank you. Hegemonic. I kept wanting to make it all at the end. I was like, that doesn't work. Um, yeah. So I, 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 I'm just saying. I, it's just, it's. There's a lot to redeem this movie. It, like I said, I really enjoyed it while I was watching it. An interesting thing from the Susan Zarinsky uh, interview uh, featurette that you didn't get to see, obviously. No, I, I. Um, is she talks about she met James L. Brooks because he was sort of embedded with uh, with news people covering the uh, Democratic primary in '84, and uh, the day she met him, uh, he asked he asked about her dating life, uh, and she said she said, "Well, I actually just eloped four hours ago." Uh, which was true. Okay. Uh, it wasn't a joke. She had, uh, she had married uh, another journalist, um, Joseph Peronin, uh, that afternoon at at the courthouse, and then went to cover the 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 uh, convention or the debates or something. I don't know. Uh, so uh, so Brooks went with her back to their back to her hotel to meet her husband who answered the door in his underwear because uh, it's his wedding night I suppose <laughs> but uh but yeah um so like I you know her love life was also complicated as a career person uh but complicated in a way that we don't get with Jane you know Jane doesn't elope with someone well it's because again I think um, it, it does it does play to the fact that we talked a little bit earlier about Jane and, and the other characters being a little too one-dimensional right like and right, part right, of right. making Jane a little bit more one dimensional is removing those kinds of like complications to a certain extent, right? Uh, the person she's based off of obviously would do something like run off with somebody and 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 get married, right? Whereas Jane wouldn't. Yeah, Zelensky was president of CBS News until a couple years ago, and she also is the executive producer of. 48 hours which maybe makes me sad is particularly oriented toward making people scared of strangers as of late basically yeah i so. mean but that's like we're, we're we're like sort of talking about right is it like 
Right, right, like, right. The thing may change, but the thing you're st- until you eliminate the capitalist system as a fundamental force right. in, in news, you will have whatever version of this and is prevalent at the day of the day. Right. right. What what I don't get about this whole debate is that, uh, yeah, people like happy news. They like. Well, but that's not even that, and that was a concern of the seventies and eighty early eighties, right? That's not even the concern right. anymore, was, right? The yeah. concern now is like is fake news or like you know like um yeah. you know right, uh, but or or like but stuff like forty eight hours that just you know or or you know in Columbus right now we're dealing with the the media trying to portray an uptick in violent crime and the mayor taking advantage of that and the police. The, as if the police ever have a budget, but the police budget getting expanded uh, on a daily basis almost as double overtime is put in so they can set up a police state in one of the districts of the city where there was a shooting a couple weeks ago. And the week before that, there was a shooting that was by the police because they showed up expecting an officer in trouble and then shot a bunch of random people. And we still don't know how many random people they shot because no one's talked about it. Uh, publicly, uh, the only police press conference has been to say uh, that uh, it was a really chaotic situation, and to release some some body cam vid- video that clearly shows them shooting at least one armed person. Uh, but we know they shot more than one armed person because the police shot a bunch of people. Right. Ernie says at one point, "I understand ratings, but I don't understand this garbage." Basically, about about the the fun stuff. Violence is also ratings. And um, well, right. It's, that it's is a all thing the same audience thing, is right? always connected with. Yeah. And it's all the same thing. It's all entertainment. Uh, and and 48 hours is particularly designed to uh, to key into this primal fear that keeps people. Why, you know, it's why why true crime podcasts are so popular. Um, and it's it's not just the fun uh, non soft news stuff that caters to baser natures. Uh, so pretending, <laughs> pretending that your news about uh, your news where you're on the ground with the contras is not entertaining. Right, it's not. Yeah, it's not the same thing. Just a, a different, a different yeah. version of the same thing. Yeah, it is a different version of the same thing. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so you know the whole the whole argument sort of falls apart to me too. Because it's it's you know as you've already said it's 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 no different, uh, yeah. And occasionally, yes, something some big important journalistic thing happens, and I get that, and I'm glad that the system exists for that to happen. But even the big important journalistic stuff, the Woodwards of the world, uh, ultimately are 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 in service of an America, an idea of America, right? That is at odds with the worldview I want. Right. Well, and bear in mind still, that, like they, they, yeah. they're they are successful in doing that thing because that thing will also drive ratings. That will right. also right. drive sales. Right. Like that big expose will or whatever will right fundamentally accomplish the goal that is at that is inherent to the system. Right. Like it. Like right. It, like bits and pieces of the system will eat itself. In service of ma- right. of of advancing the 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 sort of the system, of, right? Of the system, like yeah. if that if that can include a president, like it's like individual like capitalists are not above being devoured by the system when when yeah. this when it when it is 
functional and, and useful, right? Like, it's the I yes, I mean, of course, occasionally hard hitting journalism will happen, but bear in mind, it it won't devour its entire self. Right. Like, I mean, it right. will in, in the sense that it'll devour every single person that gets pumped into that system, right? Like, it yes, will yes. it will ruin the lives of everybody involved. We see that in this movie and every and every in reality ever as as newsrooms get yeah. cut and then they then they then you know they rehire later because they like realize that like oh we're not making any money yeah. anymore because we we hit rock bottom and so we've got to like right obviously there have been changes to the news industry that have made things worse right <laughs> than than they were even at this time right. Uh, and the corporate, the the nationalization, the national corporatization of local news media, um, has is is a big part of that. The shuttering of of local papers and and uh, you know smaller stations is is absolutely a problem because it eliminates a motive for those sorts of expose things as ratings makers. Right, right. Well, that's I mean that's, <laughs> that's the biggest thing, right? Is that like. Yeah. I, I, I am of mixed opinion about this stuff, not because I disagree yeah. that those being closed is wrong. I, my thought process on it was always has changed a lot over recent years because on one hand, I think to myself, well, it's getting worse because things are clearly happening, right? Like those are being shuttered. Yeah. They're, they're getting all bought up by the same corporate media. They're being shuttered. And so they're not doing those things anymore. But like, I also have this like sort of uncontrollable like urge to be like, but yeah, they've always been really, really bad. Like those like yeah. small town newspapers. Yeah, they did exposés, but we, we, you know, a few minutes ago we were talking about the fact that like, well, it will never like eat itself alive, right? Like not in the way we're talking about. Of course, it is always eating no. itself alive, and will the 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 the, the thought process is eventually that will eat a crisis, reach a crisis point. But like, my my point is that like. Those newspapers, I wonder in my heart if they also get, were an illusion. If they were a sort of mm. trick in and of themselves, that, and that now we don't need the trick anymore. We're like, yeah, they do exposés, but like small town local corruption was rampant and always has been, right? People were always able to buy off the newspaper. Or the town, the rich guy in town was always able to own that newspaper and prevent himself from being an expose yeah. in that newspaper. Like... You know yes, what I mean? But now, now I think the system has eliminated the chance for such an exposition yeah, because it, there's no it, one because doing that. Because there's no need news. for it anymore as as a as and an course, illusion to maintain the system anymore. Really, but all right, all right, yes, okay. Coming from that perspective, that the system does not see a need for it anymore. Yes, I agree. I I would say there's definitely still a need for it, and, and, yeah. and I, maybe I'm being a little bit like cynical. I mean, I'm being very cynical right yeah. now, but like I am very you're being very cynical. very cynical about yes. news at this point in my life. Uh, I can't help it. One has to wonder a little bit if the like occasional expose on a local town official, while useful in some expect, was also useful for the system. In, as we talked about, not just as a profit driver, but also as a sort of placebo, a kind of a, uh, not really a, a sort of um, a way to like, well, see, the system works. It it, it identified this person who was mi- committing rampant corruption. Right. But like how, but as a way to avoid it, the system, way, a way to avoid people just tearing the whole thing apart. Right. Because like, right. 
reality of the matter is, right, is like when you kind of like go back and look over history, right? Like, so we identified this guy who was like rampant corruption, but then like as a as a not very pleasant example, but like how many local small towns had dealt with like you know bad things happening through their church and other things like that, like on a really pretty large scales, oftentimes that like somehow the news just never covered. Yeah. You, 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 I, I, you know, again, I agree that local newspapers are at their core level, a useful and good thing to have. Good. If we have to exist in this system, they are, they are, yeah. they are better than not having them. But I also yes. wonder to myself if they are kind of a part of a way to prevent people from really, really engaging with things on a deeper level. If they serve a very useful purpose of preventing people from really digging into like what's wrong with like their community, like uh, sort of at its heart, uh, because you know, oh well, we caught we caught that guy. the The comptroller was dipping his hand into the pot a little bit too hard there, so we we did that. We're hard at work stopping corruption on the local level. And it creates a sort of mythology around news, right? This idea that, like, well, these guys will protect us from the system. The fourth estate is our is our final weapon against the system. Uh, and yeah, it's good to have it, right? It's good to it's good to catch the president doing crimes. Yeah, but then again, the president does nothing but crimes. <laughs> like that's literally his whole job. So I don't know. Like, I'm glad you caught the one president doing the one crime. There's a difference between war crimes and and uh I mean to the Amer- to to the American public, yes. It's it's a combination of cynicism, but it's also a sort of like I I kind of over recent years sort of tried to take a little bit like a kind of step back view where yeah. it's like, "Oh, right, like the system has always been and will continue to so be bad." <laughs> like it get like there's also- degrees of badness I, I wonder yeah. if they're somewhat transient That's, and and in the perspective of a single person rather than being true in yeah. the sense that this to, is worse than that or something like that. To reconnect it to the movie though. Oh yeah, that the is, movie. I that forgot. Is, uh, in in people like Ernie's eyes, that is Thompson, and 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 in Aaron's eyes too, and and to a less and well, ultimately that is the 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 straw that breaks the which back is, for James which is fascinating right is it is interesting is, that that is, is what breaks yeah. the back for her for, you know yeah. ruins it for her right the the difference between the president violating international law and the president uh doing a thing uh you know listening in on his enemies or using his office to to make money or whatever uh the difference is that you're supposed to commit those crimes for the greater good for the for the U.S. imperialist project, whether you're a newsman or the presidency, and when you do it for personal gain or to make people like you better, um, then it's a problem. Like like when Ernie says, "Well, what do we care what you think?" When Tom signs off the the Libya thing with, "I think we're going to be okay," because he's left to his own devices, right? Uh, Ernie says, "What do you? What do I care what you think?" Very derisively, in a huff about how bad that was. Um, and that's the that's ultimately the thing, right? Tom Tom exists in a world where uh, him being the new him being the news anchor makes him a star, uh, and it's about 
and and that's the whole point of the 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 controversy of the date rape uh pc makes and the date rape pc makes is good it's emotionally connective it's uh a hot button issue it is something that people need to know about and recognize as an issue in 1987 uh, it's even maybe a ahead of its time in 1987 well i mean uh, certainly the move in part of their derision towards that piece yeah. they constantly mix in misogyny right like they're constantly like right. implying right. like aaron does it ed does it yeah, Aaron Ern? does no, it. Ed, not yeah. Ed. Ed, no, Ed, Ern, Ernie, right? I got confused Ernie. about the, yeah. the, the method yeah. by which we can sort of uh, <laughs> yes uh, get, get yeah. there. But, like, uh, you know, Ernie there's the an editor. implication that, like, not, well, it's not new. Like, you just, you discovered sex right. or something like that. Like, no. But yeah, right. He's talking about a thing, and you decide to yeah. misogynistic it up. And, and, and that's right. an interesting thing is, like, there is a bit of a commentary there that, like, some of the power, about the power structures of, this system being inherently, yeah. you know, and then male dominated, right? And then there is a there is a deeper commentary that uh, in this thing about date rape, Tom manipulates his female producer and his female interviewee uh, for his own personal gain, right? Right. And then and then ultimately, as, as a part and parcel, <laughs> that manipulates his audience as well, right? Like. Yeah, it's all right. it's all to make himself more popular and well liked, right? Um, which is what news is, right? Like, here's the thing, though. Right. The thing that like we get in is, is that right. the, he's the just point, doing the news. Is, he is just doing what news is. Yes, but the normal point is to make the status quo look better, not to make yourself look better. And the crime is making yourself look better. Is what what I'm trying to say, I guess. Yeah, and that's the crime of the president. When the president gets in trouble for doing a crime, it's a crime that puts himself in a better position as opposed to putting the status quo in a better position. And and and, and my argument moment. on the flip side is is that that is a that that is an arbitrary metric that is not applied universally. It's, yeah, it is a, it is no. a, applied 100%. <laughs> yeah. on on purely right. like sort of a stochastic basic ba- basis basically. <laughs> yeah. Like uh, like it, you know, because those two things are inseparable, right? Tom becoming more famous or more popular is an advancement of the status quo. Like right. Tom is the That's status quo. Bill is the status right. quo. The president is the status quo. Their advancement is advancement of that of the of what the system wants and needs. It's just sometimes the system has to have a sacrificial lamb, <laughs> like right. Uh, to continue right. functioning and it's just it is it is as far as i can tell purely random yeah and and she gets yeah. mad about this thing a thing that like his behavior is obvious throughout the movie that he is that kind of person right but she makes a somewhat random decision that this is the this is too far well you violated journalistic ethics here and in this yeah. way, and that's too much. Uh, and we try yeah. to set that Even up by like we... her refusing to like tell the person to put his boots on, as a sort of like almost right. sort of comedic like underpinning of the idea that like this is what this is the one thing she can't handle. Right. But like it's it is it's it's random and arbitrary, right? And it's not that's not Brooks's yeah, fault. But, that's the that's she, 
society. That's the system. Yeah, but in the conversation with the Contra about the boots, she, uh, you know, she's conflicted, but she knows what she wants out of it, and and say, just throws enough information at him to get him to do the thing she wants, even as she insists that he doesn't have to. He still has free well, that, will. That's what I mean. He doesn't though, right? Have right? To that's do the exactly the thing, right? That's right. that is the thing, right? Right. What he is doing is yeah, the status all like, the maintenance of the status quo as much as what she's doing, right? And like, yeah, and there's some stationary view uh, of what journal, journal, ethical journalism is. She's violated it too, right? Right, right. In doing that, yeah, um, yeah. She's just she's she hedges about it. You know, she feels bad about it. And that's that's what sets her apart from Tom. Right, as well, right, right. Tom just doesn't have feelings like that. What did I watch recently? I watched yeah. something that featured like a journalism professor talking about like the ethics of journalism not that long ago. Yeah. And like it's the same think, problem is it's like there is a sort of high minded version of this that is yeah. sort of platonic in nature that people think we can be made yeah. to exist that doesn't exist. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and I think I think journalism, uh, J school, uh, teaches that it can exist. Right. And, you know, we it, have friends who are reporters, uh, who who you know I think have spent a very long time <laughs> coming to terms with the fact that that does not exist. <laughs> it's hard though to talk about this because we want to talk about it ideologically, but the movie's not even interested in its own ideology. It's interested in telling a love triangle. Right. Well, comedy, the problem is, is right? that it's like a love triangle <laughs> taking place and all this stuff. And like, yeah, frankly, and, the, the and love triangle is not that interesting. So I keep right. trying to and like grab true. something else. Yeah. It is true. What Brooks says that each of them not only represents is not only an aspect of this love triangle, but does represent a different approach to news, but Jane's got her own approach to news. Jane, Jane is not in, in choosing between Aaron and Tom, which she ultimately does not do anyway. Jane would not be. Well, choosing I think she between... chooses nobody, right? She doesn't not, not right. choose. She, right. And right. that's why, that's my problem with the, the argument that like, yes. there's no conclusion that like people make multiple right. times. There is a, con- right. She chooses, no, right. she just chooses neither because they're both bad choices. Right. Which which is the best choice for herself, right. which is where it is actually fulfilling to see her choose that, right? Um, yeah, no. This idea that the ending is unfulfilling, um, you know, and, and ultimately, you know, she does end up with someone in the end. It's just someone we've not met. Uh, so there's that aspect, I guess, but... Um, right, but that that's the point, right, is that know. we haven't met that person, which makes them right. not feel like yeah. she chose a bad choice. Right. She just shows right. like because we as just far as we know, know this person's yeah. great right like we don't we don't know anything about this person and Absolutely. as it should be yeah her choice between the two of them is not a choice between the sorts of journalism that they represent right uh and you know that's one thing about the deleted scene with buddy the the homosexual from the state department uh it shows aaron as absolutely unwilling to uh, what happens with buddy is that Aaron sits down for the interview with him, and Buddy's super nervous, and and starts doing uh, you know cracking jokes, and and being weirdly flirty because he's just nervous in the situation, right? And and Aaron gets mad at him for that and storms out essentially, and then calls security on him uh, to kick him out. And Tom is very nice to him and walks it and walks him out. Is is how they establish that relationship. And then Buddy says, "Hey, do you want to get a drink at a normal bar?" 
uh, <laughs> uh, and it's you know that whole that whole sequence, despite being deleted and and you know ten to fifteen minutes of video that that this movie does not need to be fifteen minutes longer. It is interesting because it it shows Aaron being bad at what he thinks he's good at, right? Too right, right? and we know it. We know Aaron's bad at connecting with people. Period. That's his defining characteristic, right? Um, but even even setting aside his inability to connect with people, to do an interview that would be actually a very interesting and career career defining moment for him, maybe. You know, but it's it also shows an internalized homophobia in the same way that he has an internalized misogyny that that we see. Right. right? He is just a. <laughs> Yeah, he's he's got his own problems, uh, and he's round in that, but he's round in a very normal way. For yeah, what's interesting about Aaron in the way he's presented is that we see a presentation of a character who is both an outsider to traditional mas- masculinity, um, while also embracing the worst aspects of traditional right, masculinity, right. right? You know, and that's that's true of him as a kid as well in that presentation. Yeah, so. And that you know maybe that's maybe that's one of the problems with the film presenting them as children first is that they're all presented as children who have the exact personalities they have. I mean that that is later. exactly what I'm talking about is that like, but <laughs> yeah. that's the also the only way those like movies and TV shows have a problem, which is that's also the only right. reason why you would include those kind of scenes. <laughs> Like right. that's the it's that's a self defeating entire problem, right? right? Like you're like yeah. I'm going to put this the, scene in here that shows. Like, well, okay, right. but the only thing you can contextualize with that is that they have it changed. So what what right. value does this thing have? Yeah. The answer is nothing. It has no value. Yeah. Those kind of scenes are just and valueless. If, right. Yeah. And if they haven't changed in the, un, in the unseen 30 years, what hope is that they're going to change in the next six weeks of this movie? Right, exactly. It, and, and, yeah. and, and, and it's silly. It is... It is those yeah. scenes are always just the silliest because, like, okay, just you're going to create this mythological sort of mythical universe where, like, a person is wholly unchanged over the course of 30 years uh, for all intents and purposes is very silly. It's just a silly thing to, like, even put to, to, put to film. And, 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 and I think, like, is, is sort of self-defeating in the end. So Jane's choice is not a metaphor for which version of journalism is better. Um, Jane's choice is not a metaphor at all. So ultimately, that means this movie is not an ideological movie. Well, <laughs> I guess I mean it's not an on-purpose ideological movie, uh, right? As right, we right. talked about, yes, like course. it is. There's a reason why we just spent like an hour and a half trying Hell, to yeah. talk about the ideology will, of this movie because Brooks believes things in ideology. He made a yeah. movie and he right. believes things, and those things are in this movie. And the only thing I have any real interest in is trying to parse out what those things he believes are. A couple of deleted scenes, even even beyond the alternative ending that we get with Brooks' commentary as a bonus feature here, um, that borrows heavily script-wise from a different deleted scene in which after Jane meets Tom at the airport and she sto- she leaves and he, he goes to the gate, mm-hmm. there is there was a scene shot of them at the gate where she comes back. Okay. And then they have another extended conversation, and he delivers the lines about believing himself to be good at what he does, even if she doesn't like what he does or whatever. Um, and then she leaves again. 
Uh, so presumably in the world where that deleted scene exists, the deleted ending exists, uh, that scene doesn't exist. Right. Uh, even though, even though he comes in and says, you keep coming back to me or something to that extent as if she has, I don't know. It's conflicted. There's a, Multi, multi. Uh, they they can't exist in the same universe, but they play on each other. It's like a Zelda game. She keeps coming back to him, and like, there is no point I feel in the movie, even after Aaron tells him tells her that he loves her. There's no point where she actually entertains the idea of dating Aaron. No, yeah, I mean he's a non. It, it, it's interesting because one of the things that is present is is Aaron does have a thing that we that we have taught that comes up in, in sort of conversations about you know the interplay between men and women fairly often recently which is like he does seem like he feels like he's entitled to a romantic right. relationship with her because he's been her friend for so long, right? Like, somehow he's, like, right. bought the right to... And, like, his outbursts in... When she visits him and stuff are very indicative of that, right? Which which makes him an interesting character partially just because, well, he's talking about a right. thing that doesn't get taught... I mean, I don't know how well he's talking about because I, I don't know how well Brooks is handling that thing. Yes. But it is the- there. Right. In the modern vernacular, uh, Aaron calls Jane in trauma dumpster on her, like, basically every night. Right, <laughs> um, right. Uh, and then expects and then expects sex out of that, apparently. Right, yeah. So, I mean, like, yeah, he, he feels entitled based on his sort of yeah. what he's it, he's turned their relationship at least semi-transactional, right? Um, and, like, you know, we... We recognize that, but and, and I think the movie does recognize it because his outbursts feel like insane when they have, like, feel really right. like over the top and wild when they happen, right? And so I think we're supposed to like. I think you know Brooks is aware right. of how right. That's fucked up thing. this maybe, behavior is, right? Right. right. Maybe it's also a disconnection of us not not being adults in 1987 when this came out. But I also think it's disingenuous for Brooks to say. That he thinks he crafted a movie where where neither party is favored in the love triangle when he's just made a movie where they're both just bad guys and she made the right decision for not going right. after well, either. Well, it's that, so, it's that. I mean, he does talk about a little bit in the commentary that he does about this, like the backlash that he got for like not quote unquote resolving that, like the idea that the love triangle. Whoa, they have to. She has to end up with somebody. I feel like right. he knew what and, he was doing, and like. Right. Good for him to do it, but then I feel like he also has to sort of pretend like, well, it's, oops, <laughs> like I didn't mean to do it. Like when I'm fairly certain he very, you know, very clearly he did. I don't know. It's hard to read into like what I think he does or does not think or believe. Right, 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 right. Even though we have 40 years of James L. Brooks produced material to draw on, it's still, <laughs> it's still difficult a little bit. Um, well, I think we could probably pull this one to a close, but I do want to mention my favorite joke from the movie uh, is another is another Joan Cusack line. Okay. Uh, when she turns to Jane and says, I got to tell you something, except for socially, you're my role model. Yeah, I did. That is a I, good joke. It, what's a really I mean, there's some, really like I said, joke. there are some really, really good jokes in. Uh, the sequence with the composers, for as much as it was a non sequitur, was very, it's very funny. funny. I did, uh, I did so, enjoy them yeah. doing their little performance. I, I thought it was quite fun. Yeah. We were talking about broadcast news from 1987. 
James O. Brooks, uh, written and directed, um, nominated for all sorts of Academy Awards, didn't win any of them, but was nominated for Best Picture, Best Screenplay, Best Actor, Best Actress, Best Supporting Actor, Best Cinematographer. Oh, man, so much going on. Best Editing. Um, But yeah, like I said, it didn't win any of them. But good for, it's an honor just to be nominated, isn't it, Pat? Well, next week, we'll be talking about Andrea Arnold's 2009 movie, Fish Tank, uh, British drama, another coming-of-age story. Uh, always love a good coming-of-age story, don't we, Pat? Oh, it's, a, it's the best. We actually do. Pretty much every, every coming-of-age movie in the Criterion Collection we've loved. Yeah, this week, it's been Broadcast News. And thank you so much for listening to Lost in Criterion. I'm, as always, the Adam Glass. With me, as always, John Patrick Ovitari Dorgan, and we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. This has been Lost in Criterion, hosted by me, Adam Glass. Find me on Twitter at the Adam Glass. My co-host is John Patrick Ovatari Dorgan. You can find him on Twitter at jpatrickdorgan. Big thanks to Jonathan Hape for our theme song. Check him out at jonathanhape.bandcamp.com or hear more from him on any streaming service. Also, thanks to all our Patreon supporters, iTunes reviewers, and Redbubble customers. And hey, thank you for listening.